But Daniel chapter number three, look down at verse number one. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I've preached out of this chapter before many times, but I've preached on it looks like a setup. Look at verse number two. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Verse number three, then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province, it would have been a whole lot easier to say all them people, <laughs> were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now, there's an interesting thing right there, just kind of seeing that as I was reading through it. We've got nations and languages here. And how does, how does Nebuchadnezzar get them to all act the same? Music. Boy, music's an important thing in your life. What you listen to is very, very, very important. It's amazing how... <laughs> I mean, I guess it's true about hymns. Amazing grace sounds good in any language you sing it in. But it's amazing. You go anywhere in the world. You go anywhere as an American. They want to know, do you know Michael Jackson? Do you know uh, <laughs> Mary in Albania? There's a 70-year-old Albanian man wanting to know if we listen to country music. And all of us on the trip, we were raised on country music. He said, do you know Johnny Cash? <laughs> yes, I know Johnny Cash. But it's amazing this morning how, how influencing music can be in your life. Look down at verse number six. And whoso falleth not down in worship shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a fire, burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will serve thy God, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning of how faithful your word is to us. Thank you, Lord, that it is under the blood this morning. But I'm thankful, Lord, that my life has been cleansed and changed and revived, resurrected because of the blood of Christ. And I thank you, Lord, this morning that every sin that I've ever committed, Lord, the ones I'll commit tomorrow, Lord, they're all under the blood this morning. I'm glad, Lord, when I get to heaven, I'll never have to give an answer or an account for my sin because, Lord, you washed it away through your blood. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, that you'd help us to glean from the word of God Lord, help us to take these truths this morning, Lord, and apply them to our everyday life. Lord, you desire that we'd make a stand. God, would you give us the faith, the courage, the strength, Lord, to do so. Lord, help us to make the stand in the right heart and the right spirit. Lord, help us to make a stand that brings glory and honor to your name. We ask you, Lord, this morning, there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts this morning and save them by your grace. Lord, continue to draw them unto yourself. Lord, show them how willing and how, how much you want to save them. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Daniel chapter number three is probably one of the more familiar portions of Scripture you've ever been in children's church. You've heard the story of these three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, but we want to tie this in this morning with the series we started last week on how to make a stand or, or, or the different kind of stands you're going to have to make in the Christian life. We started last week in Daniel chapter number one where Daniel and these same three boys had made a stand that they would not partake of the king's meat and they would not uh, give credence and give credit to a, a system that was not right and a system that was not true and they said just give us the pulse, just give us the veggies and the water we don't need the king's meat. God will take care of us and God did and God provided and God took them in their sacrifice and their willingness to make a private stand a stand the king did not know about, a stand the king was not privy of, but yet he elevated these four men to great positions in the realm of Babylon. We know Daniel became almost what we would call the prime minister of Babylon. He almost, in essence, he only answered to the king and he had a, a great position but what we're going to see here today is that these same three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they now go from making a private stand, a, a personal stand, to making a public stand. Not just in front of just their fellow brethren, not just in front of Daniel and the, the eunuchs and the keepers of the, uh, of the captives, but now they are in the, the entire scope of the country and all the languages and all the leaders are there and now they have been made and now they're in a position where they are forced to either do that which they know is wrong or that which they know is right. And here's the thing this morning, all of us want to have a Daniel chapter number three courage, a chap, uh, Daniel chapter number three strength, a Daniel chapter number three faith, but there is no, if there is no Daniel chapter number one in your life where you're willing to take a stand even if nobody recognizes it, even if nobody notices it, you just know it's what God has told you to do, there will be no Daniel chapter number three in your life. Because you got to realize this, out of that entire country and out of all that have gathered there, there's only three that make a stand for God. 
There's only three. Because there was no private stand in the others' lives. They just kept going on with what the king had commanded them. Now, I want you to notice this morning how when it comes to making a public stand, these three boys or men did not go looking for trouble. In essence, they did not say, you know what, we are just gonna, from this day forward, we are gonna be a thorn in the side of Nebuchadnezzar's side, uh, side, and we're gonna gonna bother Nebuchadnezzar, we're gonna be a headache for Nebuchadnezzar, we're gonna complain, we're gonna nag, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, and then through our our, our importunity and then through our, 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 our willingness not to stop Nebuchadnezzar, we'll give in. As far as we know, these boys hadn't caused any trouble. As far as we know, these boys, when they were elevated and and they were in that position, they did the best they could, not just to serve God, but to help Nebuchadnezzar and to be a source of wisdom for him. And I think the same is true in the Christian life, whether you're in the church house or the job site at the house, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You ought to be the best employee your boss is God. You ought to be the best father your family will ever have. You ought to be the best, not because you want recognition and promotion, but because you know whom you serve. You know who you live for. And so we see these three boys and now they, 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 in essence, they don't go looking for trouble. Rather, trouble finds them. They, through their willingness to stand for God in a public sphere, in a public atmosphere. Here's the thing. We'll lose our true identity as Christians uh, if we become merely social activists. In essence, as a born-again child of God, my greatest goal and my greatest desire and my greatest uh, area of service is not in the area of social justice. Do I like feeding the poor and help? Of course I do. Do I, I like taking care of people and being a, Of course I do this morning. But my greatest commission is not to be a social warrior. My greatest commission is to be a preacher of the gospel, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Well, preacher, that's you. What about me? Last time I checked when Jesus said, go ye therefore, he did not specify position and rank. He said, if you're a child of God, go and preach the gospel. But I will say this, when you begin to do that in the public sphere, in the public life, get ready to make a stand. Get ready to make a stand. In essence, you don't have to go hunt the stand. The stand will find you. I want to give you three truths this morning that we can learn from and be prepared to make a public stand for the glory of God. We find here in Daniel chapter number three. I want you to notice, number one, the tale or the, the, the testimony of the tattletales. The testimony of the tattletales. Say that 10 times fast. Well, look down at verse number eight of chapter number three. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's made it clear, you'll bow down to my image or you'll go into a burning fiery furnace. I'm glad he specified that because there's a difference between a fiery furnace and a burning fiery furnace because a fiery furnace can have no fire in it, but a burning fiery furnace has flames in it. Therefore, it is hot, but we'll see here, I honestly think that Nebuchadnezzar thought if I just instill fear in them, everybody will go on. I have no actual intentions of putting anybody in a fiery furnace. And here's the thing this morning, if the world can get you scared before you start, you'll never make a stand. You'll never make a stand. But we see here, he, he gives the command, they, they start the music, everybody bows down, except for three Hebrew boys. But then you had some good Chaldeans. Oh, they were bowed down physically. 
But they was looking around. They were seeing what everybody else was doing. It's kind of like the privilege you have of being a pastor's kid. You get to open your eyes while everybody else prays. Just so you can go tell daddy what you saw. I'm just kidding with that this morning. But notice here, these, the Bible said these certain Chaldeans, everybody else was bowed down, everybody else was worshiping the golden image. These fellows were bowed down, but they were looking around. And they said, do you see what I see? And it wasn't Christmas time. They said, look, there's those three Hebrew boys and they're not bowed down. The king needs to know about this. How many of you love a good tattletale? Amen. When I was growing up, I won't tell you what we used to do to tattletales, amen? It's against all common laws nowadays, right? But nobody likes a tattletale, but yet here they come. They come marching to the king, and they said, oh, king, live forever. Listen, oh, king, we were doing what you told us to do, but really we weren't, but that's besides the point. But king, here's what we've seen. You know those three Hebrew boys that you elevated, and you gave great positions, and you told all these kind of things to, and you gave all all these kind of things too. They didn't bow down, king. They didn't respect you. They didn't listen to you. Boy, we would have never done that, king. And we see the testimony of the tattletale. But here's the interesting thing. When you begin to break down what they tell the king, it sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a pretty good testimony. <laughs> it sounds like everything they said was true, and that's a good thing. I don't know about you this morning. I, I wouldn't mind having the testimony they share of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, most people, most people aren't bothered by the stance, right, that you make. Most people, be, being real honest with you, most people in your everyday life really don't care if you're a Christian or not. They really don't mind. That, that doesn't bother you when you pull it to them at the gas station. It doesn't bother them when you go through the grocery line with them. It doesn't bother you when even when you work beside them. Now, most people aren't bothered by that. And, I, and that's in my experience, even sharing the gospel, going door to door. Most people don't mind talking to you. Most people don't mind answering out, but there are certain ones. There are certain people who it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. If you name the name of Christ, they will do whatever they can to stop you. And we realize that this morning, that's what's happened here. Most people didn't know these boys didn't bow, except for certain Chaldeans who were looking around. Notice the accusations, right? Your, your elevation, see, I think, they were, I think they were upset. Here are these Hebrew boys, they're not Babylonian, right? They're, they're not like them, and they're, they're, they don't speak the same language. They are from a captive country, but yet, here they are, they are elevated above these Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans said, you know what? This is wrong. I've sold myself out to Babylon. I've done what the king has told me to do. I've given my life and my, my service to Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm still below them. I've got to get them out of the way. Notice the testament. Notice, notice the accusations in verse number 12 they make of these certain Jews. Look at verse number 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Heard one preacher say that old billy goat. These men, O king, here's the first one, have not regarded thee. They have not regarded thee. In essence, here's what they're saying. King, 
those that you have placed in a position of leadership don't even agree with you. They don't even see eye to eye with you, king. They don't like, even like what you have to say. They don't agree. They do not regard thee. They have not bought into the Babylonian way. They are just using you, king. They are just using you for promotion and for power and for influence. They are just waiting for the right moment to stage an uprising. They really don't care for you, king. They're using you for your own benefit. However, their private stand said something else, right? Because if had they just been using Nebuchadnezzar, give me all the meat you got. Give it all to me. But they said, no, we don't even want the king's meat. We don't need that God will take care of us. They don't agree. Notice this, he said those certain Jews won't acclimate. They won't get with the program. They serve not thy gods, what it says in verse number 12. They are, they are still worshiping a God who allowed them to be conquered. King, don't you see something wrong with that? You're a great king. You, you have marched into battle. You have conquered God's chosen people. And now they are choosing to worship him instead of you, king. They won't get with the program. They don't serve the gods that you serve. Let me ask you this morning, have you given yourself to worship to the gods of this world? Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, there's gods all around us. There's a God of science. Have you given yourself in to the modern-day teaching of science that is wrong and unbiblical? Well, preacher, I don't want to offend nobody. I don't want to hurt nobody. Listen, you better side with God this morning because here, here's what I've seen from my own eyes is that if you get big and famous, they're not afraid to eat their own. The God of science, the God of social justice, the God of power, the God of money. They want to know why you don't bow down to them. Why don't you serve them? They said, King, those certain Jews, they don't agree with you. They're not willing to acclimate to your process and your religion. Then he goes on to say, King, they won't adjust. They won't change what they believe. Look down at verse number 12. Nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, he said, Preacher, why would these three Hebrew boys not bow down to this golden image, in essence, lifting it up to the position of a God in their life, why would they not make the adjustment to simply coast through Babylon and not deal with this? And rather, instead, they stand saying, we will not bow down to the image, the golden image. Why, why would they not do that? Because they could not it did not compare to their God. It did not compare to Jehovah. It was nowhere near close to the God of the Bible, the true and living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. These three men said, hey, there is no comparison between the golden image and the true and living God that we serve. Well, well preacher, what were some different? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. Here's one difference. The image had a beginning and an end. Look down in verse number one this morning of Daniel chapter number three. It said the king made an image. This image, this, this false god had a beginning and it had an end. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Because we ain't seen it. Somewhere down the line, someone said, you know what? That gold will look a whole lot better at my house. 
That gold will look a whole lot better melted down and used somewhere else. That image was destroyed. That image was thrown down. It was cast down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God has no beginning. Our God has always been. He's always, he's eternal. He's not just eternal in the future, but he's eternal in the past. Well, preacher, what about Genesis? Isn't that the beginning? No, that is the beginning when God made man. God has always been. And they said this image has a beginning and an end. We can't bow down to that. This image had a limited value. Verse number one tells us it was made out of gold. Now, to be honest with you, they accidentally dropped that thing off in my backyard and said, do with it as you please. Boy, I'd be finding that guy who said, we buy gold, boy. I'd be finding him real quick, smelting that thing down, giving me some jewelry, making me some retirement, amen? But what we realize, this, this image had a limited value. In essence, the, the more they, somebody took from it, the more somebody needed it, the more somebody pieced it off and cut a little off here and cut off a little there, sooner or later it would run out. It had a limited value. It was expensive, but it was not inexhaustible. It had a limit. It could only pay for some debt, whereas the God of our Bible paid for all debt. He paid for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl's debt this morning. And Saturday me said, we can't bow down to that because they said that God has a limit. And ours doesn't. He owns a cow of a thousand hills and the hills thereof. And the earth and the heavens are his. It's all his. He's eternal. But notice this. Not only had a beginning and end, not only did it have a limited value, but this image had a singular composition. Singular composition, verse one, it was gold. Right, it was just gold. Nothing more. It only had one simple characteristic. One simple composition. If you needed gold, then that was it. But if you needed silver, it couldn't help you. If you needed hope, it couldn't help you. If you needed help, it couldn't help you. Why? It was in a singular composition. But thankfully this morning, our God is, is he's more than just one avenue. He's more than just one thing. This morning the Bible tells us that our God God is righteous. Not only is he righteous, but he's just. Not only is he just, but he's holy. Not only is he holy, but he's loving. Not only is he loving, but he's gracious and he's kind and he's long-suffering and he's powerful all at the same time. What does that mean, preacher? Whatever you need, he has. They said, they said King, they ain't bowing down. They're not getting with the program. They don't agree. They won't acclimate. They won't adjust. You need to get rid of them, King. <laughs> I remember when I was working at Sonic and uh, I'd become an assistant manager. Now, when I first got hired on, when I was just you know, 18 years old, straight out of high school, uh, going back to work for Sonic. Somebody told me I'd never do, but I needed, I needed a job, I needed to pay bills. And so I went back to Sonic and I remember filling out my application uh, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. I put any availability. I put Sonic, I put a big X through it will not work Sunday. And they honored that. They honored that when I was just a little cook. They honored that when I was just a shift leader. They honored that when I became an assistant manager. That's Tate. He don't work Sundays. He'll work hard Monday through Saturday, but don't put him on the schedule for Sunday. He ain't going to come in. And it was great, and it was wonderful, and everything was fine, and it worked on my college schedule. It was great. But then I got an assistant manager who came in, and, and, and he began to raise a fuss. He said, how come Tate gets off every Sunday of the year? 
They said, because he goes to church. He said, well, you know what? I would like to watch football on Sundays, but I can't because Tate has it off. And I got to work Sundays. And I, the manager said, well, listen, he's, it's been this way for a while. It's been this for a while. They said, Tate, will you work Sunday? I said, no. I will not work Sundays. That's the Lord's day. I'm going to go worship the Lord. Y'all can find it. This place will be all right without me for 24 hours. But I remember it was a big fuss and a big fuss. And so you know what? They, they changed me. And at that time, I was working straight morning shift. I'd get it to work at 5.30, go home at 2.30. They said, well, no, if you won't work Sundays, then you got to start working nights. I said, that's fine. I'm just not going to work Sundays. You know what they started doing? They started putting me on night shift on Saturday nights. I'd go into work at 6, 5 o'clock in the, the evening, and I wouldn't get home until almost 1.30, 2 o'clock. What'd you do, preacher? Did you sleep in and miss Sunday school? No. <laughs> kind of hard to miss it when you're the one teaching it. I'd get up at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I'd get home at 2, get up 7, get stuff ready for Sunday school, be out the door at Sunday school at 10, church at 11, church on Sunday night. I'd be there. And, and back then, I didn't realize what was actually going on, and, and, and I probably didn't realize all that was at play. I just knew I was tired. Right? And I thought, why do they keep putting me on Saturday nights? They know I got church in the morning. But I mean, I'd come into church, I mean, bags underneath my eyes, smelling like hamburgers after taking a shower. Come here, tired, wore out. But I, outside of city, I don't think I ever missed a service, ever missed a Sunday. But then they would start asking me questions like this. Come Monday morning, they'd put me back on the, the opening shift. They'd come in and say, how was church Sunday? Oh, man, it was good. Oh, yeah, was, was it good? Did you go all the service? Yeah, I went all the service. It was a great time. Here's what they, I think what they were trying to do is wait for me to say, no, I was tired, so I didn't go. I was wore out from night shift, so I skipped Sunday school. And they could have said, well, since you skipped it, why don't you just come work Sunday? If, it's that not, if that's not that, that big of a deal for you, then you can come just work Sunday. Hey, listen, sometimes when you make a public stand, people will come against you. And I say, just stay faithful. Stand for the Lord. We see, number one, the, the testimony, the tattletales. And here's what, they, here's what they had to say. That boy don't miss church. And I say, that's not a bad testimony to have. He's going to be there. Even if it means less on his paycheck, he's going to be there. Let me ask you, what are the tattletales going to say about you? Man, they don't ever miss church. You can tell they're in their Bible. You can tell they pray. You can tell they are living for the Lord. They're going to say, oh, yeah, he says he goes to church, but it sure don't look like it. Oh, she claims to be a Christian, but wait until things don't go her way. Notice the testimony of the title tells. Then notice number two this morning, the infuriation of the king. The infuriation of the king. Now, while we applaud these boys and we say, man, look at that great testimony. King Nebuchadnezzar was ready to kill him. His visions changes. Uh, you read through it in uh, verses, I think verse number 26, verse, or right before that, the Bible says that he, he was, his visions was changed. Verse number, let's see, it's somewhere in there. Uh, verse number 19, he was full of fury. But before that, that's, a, that's after he does this, but verse number 13, he begins to interrogate these boys. Right, he, he gets news from the title tales that these three Hebrew boys have not bowed. He says, bring them here right now. Bring them before 
the king. Now, listen, it's one thing to make a stand in a crowd and not really be recognized, but when the very power of the kingdom, the very leader of the kingdom, the very, the very uh, uh, in essence, all the, the, the power of Babylon comes against you, it's something else. It's one thing to make a stand in the church building. It's one thing to make a stand with church people. It's a whole other thing when you make a stand and Satan gets word of it. And Satan seeks you out. And Satan looks for you. Here's, here's the whole, that's a whole different ball game. Notice his attitude in verse number 13. The Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury. Just stop. Is that somebody you want to meet? Oh, that's who I want to talk to. Let me talk to a king who's full of rage and fury. That word rage means violent anger. In essence, I feel as if they stand there and there may be somebody holding back Nebuchadnezzar because if he has his complete way, he'll just kill the boys now. He's full of rage. He's full of fury. That's indignation. That is, in essence, he's, he's burning alive. He's burning with anger. And it gives the, 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 the understanding of poison, right? He, he's trying his best to, to just, I mean, just scare it out of these boys. Can I say, we see that in our, our society today. You stand for something right. You stand for life, the sanctity of life. And those who disagree, you don't disagree with you. They disagree with rage and fear. Why? That's how Satan disagrees. Satan don't play nice. Satan don't come and say, well, okay, you disagree with me, but we still love each other. Let's hold hands, sing kumbaya. No, he, 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 he disagrees with rage and fury. We've seen the very, this very reaction on social issues. Just imagine, just imagine today if somebody stood up, let's say there was a great political leader, let's say somebody stood up in the, on the floor, the center of the floor of the house or at the White House and stands in front of everybody and says, I want everybody to know that without Christ you will die and go to hell. How do you think that'll go over? I think people say, oh, well, I, I, excuse me, but I disagree with you. That ain't how they're gonna disagree with that. They're going to disagree with Satan. How say with rage and fury? Imagine the chaos that would cost or, or cause. But here is three boys. They are now standing in front of a king who, at just a snap of his fingers, could have them put to death. And he's acting as if that's just seconds away. Maybe he's maybe King Nebuchadnezzar. If I can scare them into uh, coercion, if I, if I can coerce them into complying, then that'd be fine with me. I'll squash the problem. Notice the attitude of the king. But then notice the questioning of the king. Look at verse number 14. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? How many have raised kids and they said something? And when you ask them, what'd you say? Knowing you heard what they said, and they tell you something else. I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. Maybe this king said, you know what? If I give them one more chance, if I with my fury and my rage, put fear into them. And I'll ask them one more time. Did you really not bow? Here, they simply could have said, oh, no, no, king, king, you misunderstood. We heard the music, but we misunderstood the instructions. We thought instead of bow that you said stand. And we were kind of thinking that something must be wrong because everybody else is bowing down. We just, oh, we're sorry, king. We, it's just a simple misunderstanding. But that's not the case. 
Maybe he thought he could get them conceived by forcing them to think. They could call it a misunderstanding. They, they could say, hey, you know what, King, listen, we messed this one up. Listen, we, we're not good with this whole bowing down and standing up and music stuff. We get confused. Next time, King, we'll bow down. So sorry for the misunderstanding. Please forgive us, King. But they don't. He questions them. He's, he sees his attitude. Verse number 15, he gives them an ultimatum. Look at verse number 15. Now, if you be ready, in essence, he said, you better be ready. If now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. He said, I'll give you one more chance. You be ready. I'm about to start the music up. All you got to do is bow, and everything will be okay, as if it never happened. See, there's going to come a time when you make a stand, and Satan's going to come to you, and he's going to do things. He's going to allow things to happen, and you're going to have to make the choice. You know, I'm making a stand so far, but it sure would be easier to stop right now. It sure would be easier to, to, to lessen off the gas and hit the brakes and take off a little bit of my stand. He gives ultimatum, verse number 15. He says, listen, if you do it, well, but if you worship, not. See, it wasn't just about the, the actual physical action of bowing. Right, because some of us would have been, well, I was bowing, preacher, but I wasn't worshiping. Not in that culture. You worship, you bow. And so they knew if they bowed, they were worshiping. And you go down to verse number 15, here's the ultimatum. You should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> he said, listen, I'm gonna give you one more chance. You don't take it, you're going to the fiery furnace. Not eventually, now. Right now. Notice the ultimatum. You better do it now. You don't have to wait for God to deliver you. You can do it yourself. All you got to do is say a few things, talk a little slyly, give a few little white lies. You can be out of this no problem. Here's the thing. Satan don't care how he gets you to recant. Satan don't care how he gets you to step down. All he cares is that he gets you to step down, to quit standing. Notice the ultimatum. Satan will do whatever he can to get you to back off your stand. There's a man by the name of John Bunyan. Many probably heard him wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. Outside of the Bible, it's the best-selling book in the history of man. It's an allegory story of the Bible. It's a wonderful book. Bunyan wrote it while he was in prison. He was a, a, a separatist. He did not agree with the Church of England. Uh, and he, wasn't, he didn't agree with how they operated, what they stood for. Well, they arrested him and put him into prison and they would come to him daily and say, listen, all you got to do is say that you, you, actually, uh, you actually do agree with us uh, and that you're not willing to st stand against us no more. We'll let you go. Nothing major, nothing, nothing great. All you got to do is say, hey, I no longer believe what I used to believe. These guys are right. We'll let you go. Of course, Bunyan said no. Over and over and over again, he'd say no, no, no. Well, one day, word came that Bunyan's wife was sick. Not just a cold or a sniffle, but a serious illness. She was nigh unto death. And they came to Bunny and said, listen, we understand you love your wife. We understand that y'all love each other. And we understand we've come to you and made you, said if you come out of here, you can, if you recant, you can come out of here. They said, but listen, we're, 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 not, we're not that hard. We'll let you go see your wife before she dies. You don't have to recant nothing. You don't have to do anything like that. Just walk out of here, see your wife, and come back. Bunyan said, no, I will not go. 
They said, why? We're letting you go free for a little bit and say bye to your wife before she dies. He said, here's what you don't understand. He said, if I walk out of these prison doors and I go see my wife and I see somebody else I know, all they're going to think is Bunyan recanted. That Bunyan doesn't believe what he used to believe. He no longer holds true to the Bible and the word of God. He said, though I had it actually recanted, if somebody sees me, that's what they're going to think. He said, I don't want them to think that. I want them to know that till the end, I stay true to God's word. Let me ask you this morning, will you stand even in the face of devastating persecution? We see the tattletale's testimony. We see the infuriation of the king. And in number three this morning, we see the reply of the Hebrews. Verse 16 through 18, these boys give an answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. To be so, whom our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will not deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now our, our society's got a, a warped view of courage, of what courage really is. A few years ago they gave a, the courage award to a man pretending to be a woman. So that's courage. They give it to a young girl yelling at you and I about the environment about the, the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. They give it to a politician who is told lie after lie after lie after lie, and they say that is courage. This, in your Bible, is courage. Because in our sense, we love a happy ending, right? We love knowing that if we stand for God, everything will be A-okay. There won't no, be any problems Notice verse number 16, these three lacked fear. When they said we are not careful, in essence they said, King, we ain't scared. <laughs> they didn't say, you know, you didn't misunderstand us, we didn't misunderstand you. We, we, we by choice and by action and by faith knew the right thing to do was to stand. We're not apologizing, King. Can I say this morning we've had too many Christians apologize for God's word. We've had too many Christians apologize for truth. We've had too many Christians apologize for God's plan and for God's way and for God's salvation. It's high time we say, well, no, we ain't scared no more. God's word said it's true. I believe it. That settles it. I'm not backing down from it. These three lacked fear, facing a hostile environment, an enraged king, a fiery furnace. They weren't scared. We're not careful, king. The one thing Satan can't stop this morning is a Christian who is no longer afraid of him. Well, preacher, I've heard preachers say you ought to be scared of Satan because he's got great power, he's got great strength, and he's got, he does this morning. But last time I checked, I was never instructed to fight him by myself. I was never trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in my own ability, in my own strength, but rather the one who dwells inside of me is the same one who looked at him and said, give me the keys, and he had to give them to him. He's the same one who looked death in the face and said, you can't hold me, you can't stop me. And if I operate in the power of God and the spirit of God dwells inside of me, I have no reason to fear him this morning. I can look at this world and say, I'm not careful to answer you. I know what I believe, and I know why I believe it. These three lacked fear. They had realized the options. Verses 17 and 18, they said, well, here's the thing, King. We've sat down in these few seconds. We've had a huddle. We've talked about this. We've strategized. There's only really two things here. Either God will save us from the fire and save us from that hand, or we'll die in the fire. Either way, it's fine with us because we know whose we are. 
We're his children. He said, he promised to take care of us. He promised to provide for us. And so king really, either way, king's fine with us. Choose. Tell us, play the music. Watch what we do. Right? I don't think they were being arrogant, but they realized their options, right? Either way was a good one. Either way, God was going to get glorified. God was going to be magnified before the people. Because as we read the account, we know what takes place. They, in his rage and his fury, Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, that ain't hot enough. Turn it up seven times. He kills his own men out of rage because the fire is so hot. And they toss the boys in there, bound hand and foot. And they wait and they wait. There's no screams. There's no yelling. There's no crying. There's no, no moans and groans of pain. But rather they walk over there and the Bible tells us they look in. And there's one, two, three, four. They only threw three in. Where'd the fourth one come? Nebuchadnezzar. And all his wisdom look over and says, that one looks like the son of God. Boy, I'm glad this morning Jesus knows how to walk through the storms and the fiery trials of your life. Amen. We know that. We know the story, right? So we can step back and say, oh, preacher, I'm ready to make a public stand because yes, Christ will walk it through with it through you. Christ will be there for you. He'll hold your hand. He'll help you stand. He'll do all of that this morning. But they also said, if we died in the fire, God still gets glorified. We're still a testament to our brethren that it's okay not to bow. It's okay not to give in. The point is we'll uh, have to uh, come to either one of these. It, it could turn out like Daniel chapter number three this morning. You and I make a public stand. It could turn out like Daniel chapter number three. Right? We may not be physically thrown into a fiery furnace. We may not be standing before a king. But we'll walk through that trial and God will protect us and God will allow us to come out of it unscathed and unharmed. The Bible said they didn't even smell like smoke. One preacher said you can't walk into 7-Eleven and walk out without smelling like smoke. I said, I don't know about that. I've never been to one. <laughs> but he said, they, they came out unharmed and only thing that burned up was what had them bound. Unscathed, unharmed. And can I say, sometimes when you make a stand, that is how it will play out in your life. And God gets the glory for it. And God is glorified for it. Could you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar said, at the end of this, Nebuchadnezzar said, don't, nobody else is allowed to talk about the, gods of Shadrach, or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he can deliver far better than our gods ever could. Matter of fact, we don't need that image no more. It ain't going to do nothing. It can't fix nothing. And so it may turn out like Daniel chapter number three, but it also may turn out like Hebrews chapter number 11. Take your Bibles turn to Hebrews chapter number 11. We'll be done this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11, verses 36 through 39. It says, And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, Moreover, bonds and imprisonment. You ought to go read about some of them early separatists that separated from the Church of England who we would identify with as far as scripture and stances on, on doctrine. They'd hang them up by their hands for not just hours on end, but days on end, weeks on end. They'd hang them from a wall with their, nothing but their hands supporting them. Just saying, just, hey, don't believe what you have to believe anymore. Just, just recant. Right? And a lot of them died in those prisons. They died in those dungeons. Verse number 36, and others had trials of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in 
dens and the caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Well, 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 no, the preacher, the only good report is Daniel chapter number three. God pulls you out of the fiery furnace and everything's a-okay and wonderful. Ah, that's not what my Bible says. Last time, you'll read that, verse number three, and these all who were tormented, stoned, sawn asunder, slain with a sword, wandering about in sheepskins, destitute, having retained a good report. God said, I take as much glory as, as I did in the three Hebrew boys as those who stood for me and it led straight to death. It led straight to destitution. And so you're going to have to say, say to yourself, listen, I'm going to make a stand for God. Now I'm going to stand for him publicly once I've made the stand for him privately. And I'm okay with either God bringing me through the fire and back out again, unharmed and unscathed. Or if I make a stand, and I find myself in Hebrews chapter number 11, whatever the good report is, that's what I want. You know why most Christians don't make a public stand? Because they don't want to experience Hebrews chapter number 11. And yet God said, if you make a stand for me, you'll be one or the other. And either way, both of those are right. Well, I want to have the faith and the courage that says, you know what? If I find myself in the company of Hebrews chapter number 11, that's okay, because I know who I'm standing for. I know why I'm standing for him this morning. Let's all stand this morning, every, bow, every head bowed, every eye.